Today's show is brought to you by Jubilee Hall Gym, Covent Garden. Need an effective workout using state-of-the-art equipment in the heart of London's West End? Then visit Jubilee Hall Gym on the corner of Covent Garden, where you can also check out the gym sauna, as well as a whole host of great fitness classes. Join online for £53 a month, and there is no need for a minimum term contract when joining. Or you can use the gym on a day pass basis. Find out more at jubileehallgym.co.uk or telephone 020-7836-4007 to work out at Jubilee Hall Gym, Covent Garden. Well, hello, 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 everybody. You are joining me, Alan Teresa, for the Two Guys on Fitness podcast here at Jubilee Hall Gym in London, England. And also joining me is my good personal trainer friend, the French rugby guy, Julia Berthrat, who's also going to be talking us through this episode of the podcast, which this month, everybody, has something of a dancing theme. I'll get to that in a minute. How are you doing, Julian? Well, I'm good. The weather is getting warmer and uh, we are entering uh, what is for me the best part of the year. Like basically, it's nice, it's warm and uh, a lot of things to look forward to. That is certainly true. And Julian is very much a summer kind of guy. He's very much a spring summer kind of guy, everybody. He likes nothing better, as everybody who knows him will be aware, than lying on a beach half naked. I'm going to leave that uh, mental image with you for a second. And as anybody who's listened to the podcast uh, previously will know, on Two Guys on Fitness, we like to cover exercise, health, diet, and everything to keep you on the road to a healthy and fit lifestyle. I'm a bit of an average guy where the gym is concerned, but my personal trainer friend here is very much a gym and fitness professional. Have you been training a lot lately, Julian? I tend to try to uh, keep the same standard uh, over the year because I don't want to feel like this part of the year I should not train. I think it's always the idea to keep training and if sometimes you feel a bit bored, maybe keep training slightly differently and it could be outside of the gym, it could be swimming, it could be playing rugby. But the when I realized over the last two, three years that I don't want to stop training anymore because it's getting harder and harder to restart. So I just want to uh, train continuously and, and also find a pleasure to, to keep doing so. So yeah, it's uh, I've been training as much as before and I make sure I train as intensively as before because that's something I want to keep for as long as I can. What about you, Alan? Oh, I like to follow a uh, regular training uh, regime. I'm going to use the term regime. Sounds like a bit of a weird use of the language, but there you go. Uh, and I also take a certain amount of um, direction from my good friend here to make sure I mix it up as much as I can. Now, as I said at the beginning, we're here in our little corner of Jubilee Hall Gym in Covent Garden. It is a beautiful day today. Uh, it's very blue. It's very sunny. And as Julian remarked to me earlier when we were getting ourselves ready, it's very, very busy on the gym floor today, uh, which is a wonderful thing. So shall we get started, Julian? And this month, as I 
teased a little bit earlier, we have a bit of a dancing theme to the podcast because you've had a chance to interview a ballet dancer. That's right, guys. I said those two words, a ballet dancer, about how he exercises and what we can learn if we're interested in exercising from those men and women who are dance professionals. So who did you interview, Julian, and how did that go? Yes, I interviewed Edward Watson. Uh, any, uh, I mean, if you are, if you know, if you care about uh, ballet, you must know uh, Edward Watson, who is an international um, dancer, and it was very interesting. His uh, his career, his longevity, was uh, very inspirational. And of course, I was uh, listening carefully to what he said, especially when it comes to how do you keep on training, both on the gym side and obviously on the ballet uh, specific training. And it, yeah, uh, I hope you guys and girls you will enjoy what he said because it's um, very um, it's, it's a learning process really. It is a learning process, and it is a very interesting uh, interview. Uh, I've never been to the ballet, uh, so it was uh, quite an eye-opener listening to what Edward had to say. So shall we get this uh, show on the road, Julian, and dance away onto the stage? Yes, let's do it. Hi guys, today I'm uh, with Edward Watson, a famous ballet dancer, and uh, of course I have plenty of questions for him. Okay, so to start with, what is your background and how did you become a dancer at all? Um, my background, um, I was born uh, in Bromley in, and then I was brought up in, um, in Kent uh, near Dartford and uh, I joined the Royal Ballet School when I was 10 and the Royal Ballet Company when I was 18 and I just retired now at 45. And why ballet and not other? Um, I'm not really sure why. I, I think I have a twin sister and when we were, we were kids we did everything together um, and we were always dancing around the living room with, the, with music on or if it was on the TV and I think my parents thought oh, we should channel that energy somewhere and then uh, it was just the thing that stuck so it, it was a bit of a strange way in I didn't I'd never seen a ballet but I'd always done it so it wasn't like being inspired by seeing something and saying I want to do that it's just something that I always did anyway so there was never a big question or moment of like that's the thing for me it was uh, natural yeah in, uh, in French we'll say coup de foudre you know like it just happened in a it's cool. It's cool. Uh, what are you doing now with your career? So I, I just retired at the end of October from being a, a full-time principal with the Royal Ballet, and now um, I am uh, a coach. I coach the other principal dancers uh, in the roles that I used to do and, and other roles that I never did. So uh, my focus is now on uh, bringing out the best in, in, in other dancers. Um, so yeah, it, it's a change, but um, I still dance a bit myself. Um, if the right project is there, I just started, uh, made a short film, so I've done a little bit of acting. So I haven't cut the artistic side off my life, but um, my main focus is um, helping other people. Yeah. Yeah, it's a kind of a continuous uh, 
new kaya. It's a natural kind of progression, um, and I'm lucky that uh, I, I got the position there um, with the Royal Ballet because I work with fantastic dancers. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's a, it was a good move. Feels like a good move. So now, how do you train as a ballet dancer? I mean, schedule, exercise, diet-wise. As, as a professional, so you, the schedule over there is everybody does ballet class together at 10:30 in the morning. We finish like 11:45, and then we rehearse everything that's in the repertoire, all the ballets coming up uh, from 12 until 5:30. If we have a performance, then the performance is at 7:30. And the days with no performances, we continue rehearsing till 6:30. So you have a lot. You, it's a long day. Sometimes you don't always work that time. You could just work two hours, uh, have a break, and then work another two hours. But um, often, as a principal, I found. Um, myself you know working on four sometimes five ballets at the same time so it's intense it's it's not just physically but mentally you're learning new material you're trying to maintain the steps you're trying to maintain the corrections from your coaches from the day before so you know it, it it's um Yeah, it's, it's also how we're trained as yeah. kids to do that. Uh, so that's how we're brought up. So it's only when you stop you realize, oh, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's a, yeah, I completely agree with that. Probably when you, when you stop, then you realize what you did achieve yeah. or did. When you're in the middle of it all, you don't, you don't think too much. You don't have time to think. But also um, it's your focus and it's, it's your passion and it's, it's, you know, it's also your job. So. How much sleep do you get and uh, do you have physical therapy, massage, etc.? Well, I never sleep very well. I've just I've never really slept very well. I'm I'm happy if I have five hours. Um, I think it, it going back to what we we're saying. It's the way my brain works. I'm always thinking of the steps. I've got 500 steps in my head, trying to remember them for the next day. I've got the music playing from you know the ballets in my head. Uh, it always takes me a while to sleep, and so I think my I've just got used to being managing on five six hours. Yeah. Um, physical therapy, yeah. I mean I. I never used to too much until I had an injury or a problem if I was looking after an injury, still dancing. So I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm still performing, still rehearsing, but, you know, we always have little things that hurts. So I would have physio to look after those things. As I got older, I used to just have like a maintenance session once a week if I was injured or not. Um, and then I always try to get a massage once a week just to kind of get rid of all this stuff, usually on a Saturday. So I'd do a full week's work and then get the massage because sometimes you need the work you've put in your body, you know, the a bit of the stiffness and soreness and strength that you've gained during the week. You, it's quite nice to feel that, to use it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. You don't have too much time between uh, performances. No, um, sometimes if you, if you have, you know, eight shows, eight performances in, in the week, you know, it's, it's every day and sometimes two a day. So that recovery time is, is quite difficult to manage. It, it's learning when to push, when to rest, um, because, you know, uh, we, we're different from, say, a West End show where they do the same show every night. Yeah. And uh, we will do, say, we'll do Swan Lake on Monday night. Um, Tuesday morning we'll come in and we'll start rehearsing for a brand new ballet that's coming up and Nutcracker or Sleeping Beauty that's coming in. So we'll rehearse those three things and then in the evening do mm. Swan Lake again. So we're, we're always um, managing and juggling different repertoire, different ballets, uh, yeah, different styles of stuff. You know, that, that takes a different um, toll on your body as well. 
Yeah, it's good. Tiring, but at the same time, you never can really sleep and, uh, and get bored. <laughs> what is a typical career for a ballet dancer? At what age do, you, do ballet dancers typically retire? I think the typical age is, is, is changing all the time. I mean, I used to, when I first started at 18, I thought I would retire at 30, 35. Uh, I ended up retiring at 45. Um, for lots of reasons, you know, uh, injuries and then recovering from injuries and wanting to finish uh, healthy and on top of my game. Um, but I, I think 40-something is, is normal. Um, yeah, in, in the Paris Opera Ballet, they are sort of required to retire at 42, mm -hmm. which seems like a good kind of general age for, for somebody at that level. Um, and for people who listen to this podcast and don't know much about ballet, 45 is quite amazing age to, to it go on. Is, so, it's yeah. basically dead, yeah. <laughs> Do men train differently to women? Uh, we all train in the same technique, so we will all do uh, class together, ballet class together, the technique at the bar in the center is the same. Um, men will push more jumps um, because we have uh, in, in, in the, the movements that we're, we're asked to do, there's, there's more jumping, there's often more turning, um, and women have uh, the adage thing of uh, point shoes, point work, so they, they will push that in the, in the training. Uh, also, we have to work in the gym um, because we have to lift them, uh, and that's not, you know, just uh, technical things, it's strength as well, so yeah, we have that. And we will get to the fitness point, of course, uh, but just before, what injury do you face, and what are the common challenges uh, dancers face? I think dancers face lots of injuries just uh, from the extremity of what we're being asked to do, often the speed and control of what we're being asked to do. And you, with more modern choreography coming in, you, you're required to take more risks physically. Um, my main injuries have always been ankle and feet things from landings, um, and I've uh, ruptured a bicep tendon in my shoulder, uh, I've broken bones in my feet. Uh, yeah, I think it depends on your body and, and the, the styles and demands that you're being asked to do. But I, I think a lot of, you know, from the knee down injuries are very common in dancers because just because of the nature yeah. of what we do. And also if I can say from what I understand or perceive from the dancing, uh, it's uh, even if you're tired and injured, you still have to put on the artistic side of it. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you can never, you know, screw up your face and let everybody know you're in pain. So, you know, you have to, you, you get used to disguising how you're feeling. Does your fitness as a dancer come in useful in the rest of your life? Yeah, I, I think that the fitness side is helps it. Uh, you know, if, if you're fitter, you you feel better always. Um, that kind of extreme fitness that is demanded of you as a dancer is is exhausting. So you don't always feel the fitness mm -hmm. until you have a little break and you realize how you know healthy and how how well your body's working. Um, since I've retired, I'm quite enjoying being fit and healthy and still training, but without the extremity of pushing myself to maximum limits and beyond. I was always the kind of dancer person that if someone said, do 10 of those, I would do 20. Someone say, do that for half an hour, I'd do it for an hour. And I think that's, that's the nature of a lot of dancers is you, we're brought up to want to please someone, to do better, to constantly be better than yourself. Uh, it, 
So to be released from that is quite nice, to still feel healthy, but not, um, not to the extremes. Yeah, you say before, like now the competition is with yourself, yeah. not against anyone. Yeah, I, I, I think as, as dancers, or, or I particularly was always very self-motivated. I never really needed the competition of anybody else beside me to say, I'm going to do better than them, I'm going to do better than them. I think we're all, we're always, uh, as dancers, challenging ourselves, pushing our own limits, um, wanting to, to be seen differently to anybody else you, you sort of have to find your own focus and your own your own way of um, getting through that uh, when you come to fitness or workout on the gym uh, what are your favorite exercise and workout and why favorite exercise in terms of cardio stuff I really like a spin class yeah. uh, I've discovered it since I stopped because I like what I know is is uh, moving to music mm -hmm. and that's the rhythm of the, the spin class I can just go with the beat of the music I don't have to think too hard I get a good workout I sweat I, I like that but in terms of uh, working with you as my trainer I, I like the the mixture the way you mix it up between core and back and shoulders and arms and legs it, it, it's um, a different uh, process it's never the same I think that's what I like about the difference between ballet it's always the same routine the same exercises every day because that's that's the system of it and that system works so to change the system and uh, find different strengths in my body which I built up over so many years some I didn't know how strong I was and some I didn't know how weak I was so it's been an interesting process the last sort of few months to find out uh, just my my general strength and fitness yeah Yeah, it's a, thank you for, for the compliment. And also, uh, as a rugby man, I had to find a reconversion in fitness, a bit like you do from dancing to, uh, to fitness. So, but I think, uh, what did you say the last time? Many times you say like it's about keeping the same intensity mm -hmm. and challenging yourself yeah. to no one, just to yourself and to go the distance. Yeah. You mentioned like after all these years of training, it's always the same little step. Mm -hmm. That's true? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's the same. It, it doesn't change ever. You change, your body changes, but the, the, the system and, and the way you push yourself doesn't really change. So, I mentioned that because I saw uh, a lot on, uh, on social media, people like you have to change, change all the time. But uh, the true thing is we never change. We just follow uh, our body uh, through the time and all that. Yeah. So. I, th I think what I've learned as I got older is is dealing every day with how I feel, how my body feels. You know, I push myself to to a good, happy place rather than extremes as, you get, as I get older. I don't want to hurt myself anymore. I don't want to have this kind of pneumatic body that, you know, is, looks great in pictures. I, I want to be strong. I want to be healthy. And, um, yeah, I, I think we're, we're finding that. It's quite um, meaningful, so thank you. Um, Last question: If you were not a ballet dancer, what would you like? What would you be doing, basically? I have no idea. That's a question I get asked a lot, and I really don't know because it's it's something that I have always done since I was four, and now I'm nearly 46. It, it's what I know. It's what I do. I have no idea where my other strengths are. So you know, probably something within that artistic side I realized since I stopped dancing that it's not something you just stop now it's part of who you are uh, it's just finding the right outlet and channel for that yeah. so well anyway that was 
very interesting uh, interview. Thank you for taking the time, Edouard. See you soon on the gym floor. And uh, well, uh, good luck with your new career as a coach in the ballet dancing. And uh, what is the next, uh, you mentioned a show in Japan in November yeah, this year? I'll be dancing again, making a little comeback uh, in Tokyo in November. Yeah. yeah. So it's not entirely finished. Yeah, no, yeah, I never say never. I just, you know, okay. see if, if, it, if the job is right and interesting enough, I'll, I'll try. Yeah. That's all. Thank you. And, uh, Bye. So that's Edward Watson there talking with uh, the guy sitting right next to me in a rugby shirt, Julian Bertharat. So let me ask um, you, Julian, a couple of questions uh, based upon what Edward was saying there. First of all, how did you meet Edward Watson? How long have you known him? So Edward Watson has been a member at Jubilee Hall for years. Obviously, the proximity with the Opera House and Jubilee Hall um, make him choose our beautiful gym. And um, yeah, we met, uh, we know each other like for a while, for years. And recently, I would say a few months, a year ago, we started training together. And that's how I met Edward. And did he come to you for a specific reason? Was there something he needed some technical advice on with his training uh, and to support him with his uh, dance uh, life? Yeah, I think in my job, I observe a lot of people when they train, people with habits, anyone, colleague, uh, members, because I think you learn a lot about like what people do when they go on a, on the gym floor, because it's not like a natural space. And you know? so I'm always learning a lot and observing people. Um, when, before I started training Edouard, I did notice Edouard obviously training before, and um, I knew he was a top ballet dancer, and I always thought like he was coming to Jubilee Hall to train, but in a way like to crash down. Uh, always, it was, it made me feel like he was tired, because obviously uh, being a ballet dancer is very tiring, a lot of training at the opera, and it's uh, your body is under pressure constantly and for so many years. And so the chat I had with him was, the idea was to show him that Jubileo, the gym, was not a space to crash down, but actually to re-energize. So the training target was that, to show him a routine intense enough, but not too tiring enough to make uh, the better, the best out of it when he come here. And I think we, so we, since we started, I think he's quite happy with it. He said it was like a, a nice booster of his week. And uh, I think it was about that. So. And in terms of the exercises you do with him regularly, is there a focus to them? Is it about strength building or is it about agility or building explosive uh, energy like cardio training? Is there something regularly you do? Yeah, what is interesting, why it's so interesting to train people like Edouard is they're already fit, you know. It's just like, so we're talking about like, obviously as a ballet dancer, we don't want to gain mass, okay? We don't want to overlift because you already lift body. When, because you know in, in ballet you got like this lifting body move and uh, we have to be very careful on these joints the knee, ankle uh, been years working on it body weight, all that so it's a body, you train someone with a body tired 
okay, already. So you need to get that into your mind before you train, Edouard. So the idea was to challenge him to proceed by combo uh, and to always shift uh, two fixed side on the same body part sometime and then move to another body part in order to not overtire, uh, overuse the body part just used. And so I think it's, uh, yeah, it's just training smart, I think. And uh, there is a lot of things you can learn training people like Edouard, even if you are like uh, somebody out of sport area or art area. It's just training is here to make you re-energize and ballet dancer or not, it is the same point all the time. Now, ballet is uh, viewed, I think, as being uh, one of those disciplines that is actually beneath the surface, actually very tough in its combination of strength and cardio requirements. Do you think that is true? I think it's true. I think it's true. I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, I mean, it's not a secret. Is like um, Edouard now is reaching 45 years old. If you meet Edouard in person, it's it's properly amazing. You know, the, the body shape he has, the determination he has. And even so, he's been like two, three decades working uh, hard on his body on a daily basis. I mean, uh, he's, he's going to be on um, his first holiday this year. In a while, will be in, maybe in June or, or and you have another final show. I mean, uh, it's quite... It's this um, this way he keeps the standard, his standard eye. It's uh, truly amazing, really. That is certainly true. Now, um, one thing Edward touches upon in the interview there is the importance of a balance between the mental and physical uh, in his particular dance discipline. Now, there's a crossover here, I think, in terms of your attitude to training, the balance of... Uh, putting energy and focus into the mental or strategic and the physical or exertion side of training. Why do you think that balance is so important? Yeah, to succeed is important because I think it's, um, I always say to clients, training is a mental effort before uh, being a physical effort. It's, uh, it's, you know, if you go to train, if you go to dance, if you don't have deep inside you the will to do it, it's nothing um, positive is going to come out of it. And I think, can you imagine like Edouard staying that professional for so long? It's a very, it's a, it's a really, it's inspirational. And at my level, when I train, I try to keep that. I train every day, most of the time, and it doesn't matter if it's a summer coming up, a wedding party coming up, uh, an event, it's just for your own sake. The more regular you set up, uh, you, um, you maintain a standard, the, and it obviously, the standard become yours afterwards, you know, and it's a, it's a very strong foundation. And when you see Edouard, his mental is very strong, so his body is strong as well. Yes, I think that comes across in the interview, actually. So let me ask you, are you a ballet fan, Julian? I know you've been to uh, the Opera House across the way there in Covent Garden to see the opera a couple of times. Always a wonderful thing, if you get the chance, ladies and gentlemen. But have you been to the ballet? Are you a ballet kind of guy? Yes, uh, I am. I, I did the... Uh, so 
I discovered ballet and opera a few years ago, obviously due to the proximity we have here at Jubilee Hall to the operas. And I've been training uh, a couple of dancers and opera singers in the past, or people who were just working at the opera. So, yeah, I do like, I, I, obviously a ballet um, is very intense to watch. And only the music, no, no word, obviously. Yeah? And it's, uh, it's just a body language, and I really enjoy that. I do enjoy, obviously, the opera, too. Even if sometimes it might be hard to hear the world because it's all lyric and singing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I do actually have a little preference for ballet because its body language is very strong and uh, it's quite powerful to watch. Well, there you go. Uh, there's a side of Julian Bertharat, the rugby guy that we didn't think we would get to see. And last but not least, are you a dancer, Julian? Well, as a good cliche of rugby man, I'm not like a fantastic dancer. However, yeah, over the years, yeah, I will go for maybe salsa move or tango move. Yeah, that will be, yeah. It's, um, but I won't go further than that, really. And on that, we leave Edward Watson, who we'd like to say a big thank you to for taking part in the podcast this month. And we dance our way out ourselves to the next part of the show. Interested in popular culture, movies, music and politics? Then check out ageofdivision.com to read review, retrospective and commentary on the current crazy world we live in. Ageofdivision.com, where popular culture meets the world we live in. Now, every month on the podcast, as regular listeners will be more than aware, Julian and I delve into the emails and the messages that come in to us. Listener questions. And we pull out two of those messages or questions and we have a little chat about what the lovely listeners have asked us uh, this month, which is what we are about to do. And remember, everybody, if you do want to get in touch, you can do so through our website, twoguysonfitness.com or through the website of the personal trainer guy sitting next to me, which is julienbertorat.com or you can contact us through our Instagram, our Facebook or our Twitter and we love it when you get in touch for whatever reason unless it's to complain about Julian. Actually, we like it when you do that as well. So uh, feel free. Uh, so let's get on with the two questions and I do believe, Julian, that after your uh, little salsa dance there, you're the first one this month with the question so far away. Yes, it is. And it's... Um always good to be in touch with real people with real concern so uh, first this month we have a question from phil who has emailed us with the following question what is the quickest way to get a beach body to be proud of i will be lapping it up in corfu in june and i want to look my best fyi i'm 34 and go to the gym twice a week i also like my food big time well, there you go. You know, this could have been a question from my salsa friend here because Julian loves his food as well. Though I think he goes to the gym rather more than two times a week. In fact, the other day he told me that he works out five days a week in a row. Five days. Can you imagine that? Uh, and he likes to save the weekend to relax, apart from when he's recording the podcast as we are today. So uh, Phil here, who's on his way to the beach in Corfu, he wants the legendary beach body and he wants to know the quickest way to get it and perhaps also what he should do. So what's your advice, Julian? Well, um, 
there's always a word <laughs> I find it a little bit uh, confusing which is quickest you know uh, because uh, in the podcast we often talk about a long term results and you know but you know here we are and um, to not avoid the question but there is a couple of things we we don't know uh, about you Philip which is um, body weight body fat things and uh, how long have you been training and uh, but try something seems to be um, reasonable however if you really want to your know, beach body and if you got like a small a small amount of time before your holiday well you got a couple of months to train and uh, yeah t- um, methodic but, w- but regular okay methodic but regular so yeah five times uh, uh, a week I should be fine uh, possibly once or twice during uh, I would say once a week try to do your cardio uh, intensively like interval type uh, incline on a treadmill or not but try to push yourself uh, once a week so basically once a week you might train if you have time morning the weight and then with the weight and the evening maybe you can do your interval training on a treadmill but yeah just eat reasonably don't ever eat after six um, And uh, there's so many things we don't know about your training routine, so I'm a bit in the dark here, but I will say, um, yeah, just like train a bit more often, but quality, each training session, one hour, no more, no less. And yeah, and even the last week before you go on holiday, you can even try to push more with adding more weights because you're going to have a week off after. So, you know, that would be my advice. But I think it's also the case, as you touched upon there, that um, to get the legendary beach body, uh, and I think we all know what we're talking about when we use those kind of terms, you have to work out a lot and do lots of dietary control, don't you? Yeah, I mean, but the week before you go on holiday, by definition, you can push it will make sense that you can push more and more and more, but not to the point you get injured because you know you are you're about to go on holiday, so you want to go on holiday injured. But you are about to have a nice break, so your body will have plenty of time to recover. Um, on that point, I would just want to say that the first three months of the year, at many level and on many subjects, are perceived like the toughest of the year because you know it's dark it's cold and they are very important for the rest of the year because you set up standard and uh, stepping stone during these three months so i always try to convince people to train much beforehand you know because it's it's so hard to train to start training in april and being sort of inactive for three months and then to get ready for, I don't know, June, July. It's all squeezed, everything in one go, and uh, I think it's it's so much easier, maybe hard to start to set up that routine, but when you start this all-year routine, everything is achievable and nothing is like in a hurry, so... Indeed. So, Phil, I hope that's useful for you and that uh, whatever condition you're in when you finally hit the beach that you have a lovely time in Corfu it's a wonderful part of the world 
uh, and I'm sure you're going to have a good time regardless of how you look in your little beach shorts. So uh, next up, uh, I do believe it's me, Julian. So I'm going to have a little look through my notes here. What have I printed off? Okay, uh, yeah, what have I printed off, actually? Hold on. Uh, okay, so sure, great, here we go. Uh, next up, we have a question which also came in uh, by email, uh, or rather by the contact page on our site. And this question is from, hold on, I've got the name here somewhere. Hold on. This uh, question is from Sarah, who does not tell us where she's from or indeed anything else, uh, according to what I'm looking at. But she uh, asks the following question, quote, who or what has been the greatest influence on your fitness and training and what has been your greatest disappointment, end quote. Now, Sarah, I could tell you what has been the greatest influence on my training, uh, but I don't really think you're interested to hear that, uh, though perhaps you should be. Uh, so I'm going to ask Julian. Okay, so you, you've played rugby. In fact, you play rugby now, uh, and you're a personal trainer. So who or what has been the greatest influence on your fitness and your training, and what has been your greatest disappointment? So the greatest influence are the people you train and the people who generally come to train in the gym. Because, uh, but I will say, I will say that... When you see someone, when you see people every year, every month coming to the gym, uh, Jubilee Hall or any other gym, and you see these people not that confident, but however, they keep coming, do their little bit. And I find it this very respectable and noble, and it gives me great inspiration. And if I, uh, at some point, I become their personal trainer, I do my best to be extremely positive and to to show them the full respect I have for them because I do have a lot of respect for people who one day choose to be to put some money on a personal trainer and it's, uh, it's a great responsibility, a huge responsibility and, and a great trust they give give it to you so you know full respect um, also the influence that's remind me when I think 15 years ago, or maybe 20 years ago at least. Yeah, 20 years ago when I discovered the first time a gym when I was in France. And there was this guy called uh, Michael. He was uh, he used to be, um, at that time, a uh, studio teacher, fitness class. Uh, he was himself doing some bodybuilding competition, making protein shake at the bar for members, um, doing the cleaning parts uh, in a chain room or on the gym floor. And he always, you know, even this day, of course, I didn't know at the time I was going to be a trainer 20 years later in London, but there is not, I think, uh, a single month was without me thinking about him, like as a, as um, the standard I set up to myself, which is be approachable, no, don't be arrogant, don't be judgmental, make yourself available for anything, always be happy to answer questions and be there for people. That's how I see myself or that's how I will see a personal trainer be these days, always accountable to people around and uh, ready to you know, answer questions and then people feel at ease as well because he was very good at that and uh, yeah, I remember very um, so I don't know if uh, he listened to his podcast but um, uh, you've you been a great inspiration, Michael. 
it is important uh, on a serious note it is very very important uh, thing to do to inspire others uh, to go down a positive path in life what about your greatest disappointment well I mean it's um, there is a gap between rugby sport value and the fitness I think the fitness is in rugby for example one of the, uh, I never see any other body Uh, in rugby, for example, to, to put a word on it, I, uh, I think your body type is not an issue. If you're large, you know, uh, you're likely to play in a fourth position because your weight will be an advantage on, uh, you know, to, to do a scrum or stuff like that. And if you're tall and, uh, and thinner, you might play still four, but to catch a ball in touch. If you're small, um, maybe skinnier, you will maybe play in a backwards because we're going to use your speed or even your vision. So any, which is less true nowadays in rugby professional because it's everybody is extremely fit and big. But I always, you always come across that they were not, never, never a part of the mental aspect of uh, body body shape in rugby. It's uh, the beauty of what sport is that it's just like there is uh, a team spirit things. If you play like tennis, well, there's a, a technical aspect of it. But it's uh, it's true that the disappointment is in fitness. You, you do sort of lose all these kind of things. It's not it's at the fault of nobody. It's just like you go around, you go from rugby to a space where it's you are surrounded by mirror and machine, and it's obviously it's it's gonna be a judgmental place. You know, it's because there is no team spirit thing value. It's just yeah, your body. How can I my my body and how can And people are gonna perceive my body, and all these questions are to learn. So yeah, I think it's um, it's more like an. Uh, I think the gym is a bit. More, the disappointment is a bit more like a reflection, a cruel reflection of our society. And yeah, we are becoming maybe a bit too judgmental, and uh, so. Obviously, we don't people put at ease when it's like that, especially people, beginners, you know. Great. So I hope that's uh, useful for you, Sarah and uh, Phil. Uh, I'm not sure where you're going on holiday, Sarah, you didn't actually say. Uh, not that that's particularly important. And remember, everybody, if you want to get in touch, you can do so by contacting us through our websites, as we mentioned earlier, or our social media, uh, because we absolutely love it when you get in touch. So that's Julian there. Uh, this episode talking to Edward Watson about dance. I never thought that would be the kind of sentence I would ever utter. But uh, it's a big thank you to Edward for taking the time to sit down with Julian and uh, have the conversation. It was a very interesting listen. And has it motivated you to uh, focus more on your salsa techniques, Julian, uh, having spoken to Edward? Yes, I do. I mean, uh, I think the next few years could be a good time for to learn new moves. New moves. I like that. Julian's going to learn some uh, new moves. A mental uh, picture there I wasn't anticipating. And we'd like to say a big thank you uh, to you, the lovely listeners as well, for joining us this month on the podcast. And remember, you can listen to us on all the major podcast platforms, wherever you're listening to the podcast now, you can find us, or you can check out uh, where we're available on our website. And so I say to you, Julian, 
adieu once again and uh, have a lovely remainder of the weekend and is there anything you want to say before we dance away into the sunset once again thank you Edward and uh, enjoy your workout and your dancing Thank mm-hmm. you.